Hi, you're listening to the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast, where we aim to bring you all the latest evidence and research to enable you to perform at your best, prevent injury, and recover well. The Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast is brought to you by Southern Suburbs Physiotherapy Centre. I'm Anthony Lance, physiotherapist, co-founder of SSPC, and your host for today. Thanks for tuning in to episode 6 of our podcast series where today's topic is stretching. As always, we've picked a topic with varied opinions and uh, lots of different thoughts out there and we hope by the end of this podcast to make you have a good think about stretching. We'll try and explain exactly what it does or more importantly what it doesn't do. And we'll make you think about why you are doing stretching as part of your regime and whether you may actually be better spending your valuable time on other modalities. So let's get into our stretching topic. So stretching, it's opening up another can of worms. What does the science and the literature tell us? Well, we've been doing this really popular form of exercise for decades. And it's quite interesting that what the science is now telling us is that the stretching as a form of exercise has almost no measurable benefit. And we're in a real evidence-based world and stretching just hasn't held up. So we're going to go through today what we perhaps should and shouldn't be doing. So I know those who have listened before will know that I don't really believe in what I call absolute science, which is when an evidence-based paper or a statement comes out saying you must do or you must not do or something is effective or something is ineffective, because rarely is it that simple. And I know a lot of the studies will come out and say this, and then people will hang on to that and say, well, stretching doesn't work. But it's a very global, generic statement to make, and many variables have to be taken into account before we actually take on a statement like this and just don't stretch. So it's so hard to be so absolute in research. And if you think back to my previous podcast, which was on ice and recovery and Studies are trying to find, you know, does ice post-exercise assist in recovery for athletes? But as I said, there's so many variables and, and how do we measure recovery and what's the definition of recovery and one person's measure of pain or fatigue during their recovery or their soreness is going to be different to another person's. And if you're going to put ice on somebody after training and then re-measure what their output will be later to try and determine if ice has been effective, then you've got individual variances and resiliences and efforts and feelings of reward that will drive people in that secondary test. So again, it's so hard just to come out and say that something absolutely does or doesn't work. But no doubt with stretching, there's a a very common consensus out there that stretching doesn't work and we shouldn't be doing it. So I also think we need to keep in mind that no evidence of an effect in these studies doesn't necessarily mean that there is evidence of absolutely no effect. It's just that that they haven't been able to find an effect in that particular study. And that should just lead us towards more thought and, and more investigation and more justification of why we do something. 
when it comes to stretching, I'm amazed at, at the difference between people and why they stretch. Some will say they stretch just because it feels really good for them. Others will be the opposite and they'll, they'll stretch despite it being agony. And rolling the ITB is a is a common one that comes to mind and people will do it and you, you watch them and, and they are in agony but they'll do it because they think they feel better afterwards. Yet others hate stretching but they do it anyway because they think it might be helping or, or they're hoping that it's going to help them with some mechanism of, of their sport. And for many, they're just stretching because of habit, because it's something that we've just done for so long. And until recently, certainly, it's just been a standard part of most warm-ups and people don't question it. They just come down and stretching's one of the first things that you do. So when you look at it, you sort of think, is it possible that, that with all these people doing all this stretching, is it possible that they're all getting it wrong? Well, Unfortunately, the science is starting to indicate to us that maybe they are. What we do know is that stretching isn't an important part of fitness programs. And also, if you're stretching for flexibility, which, which we'll go through, it, it doesn't really correlate well with the evidence we have. So what I thought I'd do is I'd take a look at the main reasons that people give us for stretching and look at what the evidence tells us and try and come up with some suggestions at the end of the podcast. So just as a clarification, when we talk about stretching, and as I mentioned earlier, there's so many variables within any one topic, and stretching's the same. So during this podcast, when we talk about stretching, I'm going to be talking mainly about static stretching. So that is where you put a muscle in its elongated or its stretched position and you hold it for a period of time. So there's other types of stretching, but that's what we're going to be talking about um, with the research now. So when it comes to the common reasons that people give to stretch, I think probably the most common is for flexibility. So when people stretch, they're trying to gain muscle length. But the big question becomes, well, there's a few questions actually, and we sort of say, does a particular person really need to be more flexible? And also we need to look at what benefit being more flexible will actually give us in sport. And I'm going to give you an example here. I think for those of you that know running, you'll agree that Elliot Kipchoge is one of the greatest, if not the greatest marathoners we've ever seen. And he's just gone, or he's just completed the first ever sub two hour marathon. And there was a guy that trained with him in the lead up to that sub two hour marathon, Matt Fox. And he's got a really good website called Sweat Elite and and he's got some great blogs on there and one of the blogs he discusses five of the things that surprised him when he was training with Elliot Kipchoge in the lead up to that sub two hour race and one of the main things that surprised him was Kipchoge's lack of flexibility and Fox describes him as being extremely unflexible in his hamstrings and his legs so it sort of makes you think that if the fastest and best marathon runner ever has tighter than average leg muscles then how important is flexibility to the rest of us that aren't performing anywhere near as 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 well or as great as what he is so it is interesting stretching can actually cause an increase in flexibility so if that's your purpose for doing it it is possible many studies over the years have shown this but i think probably the biggest issue for a lot of people is 
the amount of time that you need to spend on stretching to actually gain flexibility. And not only that, it's also the amount of time that you've actually got to spend to maintain those gains. So it seems so much effort for so little result for also so little benefit in reality. So another interesting thing about stretching for flexibility, it's actually thought that if you get an increased or a perceived increase in muscle flexibility following any sort of stretching, that this actually may be due just to an alteration of sensation or an alteration of your perception of tightness in the muscle rather than a real change to that muscle's length. So it's thought that maybe most stiffness that you experience is a sensation or it's a symptom or even a kind of mild discomfort that comes with movement rather than it being a true limitation of muscle length. And even hypermobile people, so people with extraordinary amounts of mobility, can still feel stiff. And you can get dancers and gymnasts and calisthenics people with with extraordinary flexibility that will still say to you that they feel tight. And many of these people, there's no way they have a true shortened muscle, but they have a perception of being tight. So perhaps after a period of stretching, what we're actually doing is not really changing our flexibility, but we're changing our tolerance or our sensation of the tightness that we perceive when we're going into that stretch position. So in simpler terms, it's just our willingness to elongate that muscle changes. And we actually teach our nervous system, our brain and our spinal cord that it, that it's really okay to stretch a little further. So why would we have this sensation of, of tightness and this awareness? Well, the body's got some pretty good inbuilt protective mechanisms. And the idea of these protective mechanisms are just to stop us from putting ourselves into positions of, of danger or into positions where we might actually get some true damage. So the body actually may start to warn us as a muscle is going into a lengthened position well before it's actually dangerous for that muscle to be in that position. And there's a couple of good examples of this that, that we can draw on. And I've mentioned in a previous podcast about Alex Hutchison's great book, which is called Endure, Mind, Body and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. And part of it, he talks about the central governor theory and why we can't literally run ourselves to death. And it's because the central governor or, or, or the brain stops us well before we get anywhere near a truly life and death situation. And you can see this when you see an athlete collapsing across a finish line at the end of the race and they're seemingly completely exhausted. And yet a few seconds later, they get up and jog a victory lap. So there was obviously something in, the res in reserve, but the body was telling them towards the end of that race that enough is enough. And in another example, you, you occasionally hear of these superhuman feats where, you know, somebody might lift a car up because it's it's been in an accident, it's pinning somebody underneath it, and there's no way known that that person could replicate that lift or lift anywhere near that weight in normal circumstances. So again, with our strength, our body almost has a braking mechanism that stops us performing 
anywhere near our true capacity. It will actually stop us well short of what we can actually do. And that's a safety mechanism. And that's one of the thoughts on why we feel a little bit tight is it's just that braking system to stop us putting that muscle into a position of potential danger. So if you're going to be looking at stretching for the purpose of flexibility, then you probably need to consider these questions. Firstly, do you really need flexibility at all? Secondly, what effect is flexibility going to have on your performance? Um, And this is a big one because people spend a lot of time stretching and a lot of time trying to be more flexible, but why? Is it truly going to improve your performance? Also, do you have the time in your regime to do the required amount of stretching to not only create change, but keep change? And is this time spent doing a very low or possibly no value activity taking away from something else that actually is going to give you good performance gains? We also need to think about is your feeling of tightness more a sensation than a true inflexibility? And there's another really interesting one which I'll discuss later, which is might you actually be increasing your injury risk by stretching? So hopefully by the time we've got to the end of this, we'll answer all of those questions. But as a starting point on the on the topic of stretching for flexibility, um, there's not a lot of evidence that flexibility is, is either needed or, um, or necessary or beneficial to us in sport. So I think the second most common reason that people will give for stretching is to warm up. And whilst people in individual sports often tell us they're stretching for flexibility, it's people in team sports that are that are more commonly just stretching as part of a warm-up. It's just something they do and it's something that's been traditional for, for years and years in many sports. But the stretching research is pretty clear in the evidence which tells us that stretching is just not effective as a component of a warm-up. So we've got to look at the same thing with our body and our muscles. If we're just going to pull backwards and forwards, and particularly if we hold it in a static position for a period of time, is that going to create warmth in our muscles? I don't think so. So the static stretching that has been involved for so long in warm-ups, it's actually one of the most studied topics in physio and strength and conditioning. And there's a lot of papers and a lot of research, but one good large review of all the research found overwhelming evidence that stretching durations of between 30 and 45 seconds, which is probably pretty standard for a lot of people with their static stretching. So this study found overwhelming evidence that the stretching imparted no significant effect and even some evidence of harm, which is a little concerning. So I come back to the definitions, you know, and we need to look at if we're going to stretch for warm up. Well, what's our definition of warm up? And really, it's not just a raising temperature that should be the aim of what a warm up is. That's part of it. But to be truly warmed up in an athletic sense, you do want some raising body temperature. Absolutely. But you also want to be looking at things like strength, muscle activation, balance, motor control, you know, which is quick and accurate nerve messaging, coordination, and many other factors. So if if stretching is forming a big part of your warm-up, then you're probably missing the boat and you're missing a lot of really other important factors that need to come into a warm-up. 
So it's pretty generally accepted that that the critical aspects of a good warm-up involve functional movements, um, not not still and static stretching. And we need to do activities that mimic the activity that we're about to do, but at a lower level of intensity. And again, there's a couple of examples. We can see footballers that will stretch their hamstrings for you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes before a game of football, that's not going to that's not going to decrease the risk of, of hamstring strains. But going out and running around and stopping and starting and changing direction and kicking a football in a lower intensity fashion is much more functional. It's much more relevant to the warm-up process and that's much more likely to actually result in a reduction of injury. So again, if somebody says that they're stretching to warm up, then we probably need to give them some education and some direction to change because it's just really not that important when it comes to warming up. And if we need a little bit more evidence, um, there's a great program out called the FIFA 11 Plus program, and it's been reasonably universally incorporated into a lot of different sports and it's had enormous amounts of studies done since it was brought in which was in about the early 2000s and it came about in response to a high number of injuries in soccer so basically what it is it's a warm-up program and it's devised with a specific intent of reducing injuries in soccer players And due to its success, it's actually been modified into many other sports. So the AFL's got a footy first program, netball's got a knee program, um, and they're all uh, incorporating all the philosophies of the FIFA 11 plus program. Now, this program involves three stages and 15 exercises. Stage one is just basically slow speed running drills. Stage two involves a bit more strength work, strength exercises, um, some plyometrics, which is a bit of jumping and bounding and, and some balance drills. And then stage three, you get into some higher speed running, some cutting, some pivoting and some twisting. And you notice what word I didn't mention amongst the FIFA 11 warm up program? Stretching. There's no stretching in it at all. Now, the statistics tell us quite clearly that the FIFA 11 Plus program in the warm-up and its effect on injury reduction is as follows. So all knee injuries were reduced by 58% and ACL injury rates were reduced by 80% in one study, a 40% reduction in ankle injuries and a 22% reductions in all other lower limb injuries. So some pretty extraordinary statistics coming out of a warm-up program that actually doesn't involve any stretching. So I think if your purpose is you want a good warm-up, you don't need to look any further than the FIFA 11 Plus program and you're not going to see any stretching in that. Rightio, so next, why do people stretch? Uh, People stretch for injury prevention. Now, again, simply, there's just no evidence to support this theory either. There's so many studies that are, that are actually quite damning of stretching as, as a method to prevent injury. And I'll give you uh, one example, again, of a good study that appeared in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. Uh, they did a review in 2014 on the effects of various exercise therapies on injury reduction rates. And what they found was this. 
Consistently favourable estimates were obtained for all injury prevention measures except for stretching. And that's quite interesting. So every component they looked at except stretching had some benefit. And here's probably one of the, the, the best reasons or examples I can give you on why we need to start thinking that stretching isn't a, an important component of injury prevention. The Australian Ballet, whose physios are world-renowned for their successes in injury management, we've often got dancers coming over to Melbourne to, to work with the physios there for various injuries. They are in a really high injury risk sport, and they've detailed the changes they've made to their program, and their principal physio, a lady called Sue May, in the early 2000s, um, her physio team started focusing on ankles and calves, which were a common injury site for dancers. And they found that the dancers prone to these injuries actually had really poor calf endurance, which is quite surprising in athletes that, that jump and land and push off a lot, that their calf endurance was, was quite poor. So what they did at the, at the Australian Ballet, they introduced a program involving um, just reasonably basic calf raises or calf strengthening. And they did this in their, in their daily class. And what they found, in their words, was that strengthening the calf proved stunningly effective in reducing ankle injuries and calf tears. But that was only part of the story. There was actually more to it because what Mays says is that the other part of the program was actually educating the dancers not to stretch their calves. So not only were they doing a lot more strength work, but they actually cut stretching out. So there used to be stretching boards in the studios and, and dancers were, were very heavily into stretching and particularly stretching calves. And so what they did was took everything out of the studios and encouraged the dancers to use strength rather than stretch. Um, and the amazing injury reduction results that they saw just from increasing strengthening and reducing stretching um, really is a lesson for all of us. And they actually applied that theory across other major muscle groups that the dancers use. And again, if I use, if I quote Sue Mays, um, this is what she said. The muscles that dancers love to stretch are the hamstrings and the adductors, which are the muscles down our inner thigh. They love to sit in the splits. However, there's a lot of recent sports research that supports our clinical impression, which is that static stretching, staying in a stretch for a long period of time without using the muscle, can actually be damaging. So there you go. So once again, not only the evidence, but the practical reality within sport don't really support the role of stretching um, either as a warm-up or certainly not as an injury prevention. And in fact, in the case of the Aussie Ballet, actually taking stretching out in conjunction with that strength program actually helped reduce their injuries. Rightio, another reason, stretching to prevent exercise soreness. So we often find people post-sport that will you know, sit down post-game and you see them in, in the rooms or on the court and stretching, um, thinking that they're going to stop a little bit of the DOMS or the delayed onset of muscle soreness that can be so common in, in so many sports. Um, I'll cover this really briefly again by just saying again the evidence strongly suggests that stretching, static stretching, um, doesn't prevent any of this DOMS and there's really just no evidence at all that stretching post-activity reduces any of the soreness that you might have created from that, that activity. 
The sports with the big budgets like the AFL, these are the ones that often drive a lot of our knowledge and, and you'll find that ways of reducing post-exercise soreness in, in sports like AFL, you know, you're more likely to see the players in a dynamic activity or being attentive to hydration and nutrition and other recovery strategies like cold water immersion um, than you will see them sitting around in the rooms afterwards doing static stretching. So if you're stretching to prevent uh, soreness coming from your exercise, there's probably better ways to do it. So now on to stretching to manage injury. So it's pretty well accepted now in our physio world that much of a successful rehab from injury actually relies on good load management strategies. And that means doing the right amount of activity at the right time. Not too much and not too little through all phases of the rehab program. Now, like the FIFA 11 Plus warm-up program, load management doesn't really incorporate stretching as a strategy at any phase. So stretching simply doesn't come into load management at all. But what about in our role as physios and general rehab and the injuries we're seeing every day in the clinic? Well, Sometimes we do use stretching if we're trying to get range of movement back into a joint after injury. And it's not, in, it's not uncommon for us to see stiffness and sometimes quite a bit of stiffness after injury. And certainly after things like joint replacements and operations, we can, we can see a good deal of stiffness. Now, a bad ankle injury is probably a classic example of where a joint can become really stiff um, and sometimes for long periods after the injury itself. But the thing is the stiffness tends to occur in the joint, not not actually in the ligaments where the damage occurred and certainly not in the muscles. Um, so again, it's not a matter of being able to stretch out muscles and tendons around the injury because they're really not highly involved. So if you were going to stretch, you're not really helping the injury at all. What you need to do is you need to address the secondary effects that come about in the joint. And as I said, the stiffness is in the joint and joints need movement. So rather than doing a static form of intervention like stretching, you're going to be much better off doing some dynamic stretch or some dynamic movement to help the joint anyway. And keep in mind, you know, what, what is interesting is that a lot of this stiffness post-injury actually comes about because there wasn't enough active movement early enough in the rehab anyway. And we keep coming back to that word of movement or motion. Um, we've been through flexibility, we've been through warm-up, we've been through injury prevention, we've been through DOMS, we're now going through managing injury all of which same stretching has minimal effect on, but we keep coming back to the positive effects of, of movement and motion. So if I think about it, we can occasionally see a truly restricted or shortened muscle. So if you think of an Achilles rupture that's that's had an operation and it's coming out of long periods, like weeks and weeks of being stuck in plaster and then a cam boot and then a heel raise, well, maybe you do get a truly shortened Achilles calf complex. But once again, it's telling us that 
movement in the beginning of strength training is is much better to elongate and lengthen this muscle out. And look, in these cases, we may do a little bit of gentle, uh, passive, sustained stretching, but it's certainly not a priority or a focus of the rehab. And whilst we're talking about stretching to manage injury, I think one of the most common things we hear, and we hear it time and time again, is stretching for ITBs, which is that band that runs from your hip down to your knee. And a lot of runners, and you see a lot of people in the gym, and they're forever rolling out their ITBs on a foam roller. Now, you need to think of the ITB like a big, massive, inelastic cable that runs from your hip down to just below your knee joint. Now, if you think about a cable, a cable can't get tight and you certainly can't lengthen it. So the simple thing to say here, if you're stretching out your ITB is either to manage or or prevent tightness or manage or prevent injury, then do yourself a favor and stop rolling and stretching your ITB. It just doesn't work. You've got to look more at the muscles that are attaching into it and work on those. So I think, again, when we're talking about stretching to manage injury, the benefit comes back to a perception and a hope. And the hope is more along the line that, you know, and particularly if we talk about ITB, that if you're doing something that's causing you so much pain, it it has to be helping you, like it must help me. And the perception also comes about because after you do something extremely painful and then remove that stimulus, you're always going to feel a bit better afterwards. Like if I was going to bang you for five minutes on your thigh with my fist, then you're going to get some sense of relief when I stop. And maybe when you're ITB rolling and you get that agonizing feeling, you're going to hop up and get a sense of relief. And so maybe the benefit that you're getting is purely that sense of relief rather than a true releasing of your ITB itself. So again, to manage injury, the evidence just really isn't there. Now, if we go on with other reasons why people will stretch, we'll look at stretching to improve your performance. Um, And this is another pretty simple one. There is just not one iota of evidence that stretching helps you perform any better. If we come back to the FIFA 11 Plus warm-up program again, that actually has been shown to to be performance enhancing. So it actually does help you perform better by doing the FIFA 11 Plus warm-up. But remember, that doesn't involve any stretching at all. Now, I've touched a couple of times throughout this that there is actually some evidence that stretching might reduce muscle strengths, and this happens for short periods immediately following stretching. So you don't want to be doing a lot of explosive or plyometric or bounding or jumping type of exercise after a period of stretching, because if there is this short-term loss of muscle strength, which has been shown and you go and sprint, then you're actually at higher risk of sustaining muscle damage than you were if you didn't stretch at all. And if you think about it, you know, when we see so much sport on TV these days, if we look at 100-meter sprinters, you know, you don't see them sitting around and doing passive stretches before an event. They're more like energizer bunnies, the way they keep moving and jumping and dynamically stretching before a race they they just don't stay still so uh, the performance reasoning for stretching um, is out the door as well 
Now, the final couple of things that I can think of or the reasons that people will use to stretch um, is for tightness and trigger points. And certainly in the clinic, we get people that get some really localized uh, trigger points around neck and back and glutes and, and calves. And, you know, if, this really is quite a common reason that people will stretch. And it's to, sort, it's to try and relieve those aches and pains that come from an, an obvious knot that you can feel in your muscles. Now, there's a few different theories and reasons around about what makes a tight band or a knot form in a muscle. But whatever the cause, here's an analogy to think about. Try and imagine that your muscle is like a big, thick, powerful, elastic band. And they're not dissimilar in many ways. They can they can elongate and they retract and they produce energy. They can stretch and they can release. Now, Imagine if that elastic band had a knot in the middle of it. Does it make sense to stretch that band further? Like, There's no way you would do that. If you want to get that knot out of that elastic band, you're not going to pull it at either end because you're actually going to tighten the knot. Now, obviously, muscle and elastic band aren't exactly the same, but we do need to think about this because you think that you, you can't selectively stretch through the knot or the tightness in your muscle the same as pulling on that elastic band all you're potentially going to do is end up over stretching the muscle tissue on either side of that knot so you're actually probably going to be over tensioning the good muscle tissue um, which still has the ability to stretch and the tight bit's just not going to magically start releasing through its knot just because you're pulling on it at either end and this is one uh, time where I think certainly with my clients anyway where there's more possibility or more validity to to rolling or, or maybe using a spiky ball in these tight knotty areas so I would certainly prefer people doing some direct trigger point or some direct relief strategies rather than using stretching as a tool when you do have these tight spots. Now finally the final thing that I can think of or the reason that people give us for stretching is simply that stretching makes them feel good Um, and quite often it does you finish a stretching session and you actually do feel better but does feeling good mean that something actually is good well maybe but does it mean that it's beneficial well probably not really not necessarily so what we've got to look at here is really anything that that makes us feel good is going to stimulate the release of endorphins in our body and and the endorphins are what what make us feel better and feel good and i want to go back again to to the great work i've mentioned before at the australian ballet and and the principal physio sue mays and she uses this really good analogy so if we think of a rash or a mosquito bite We feel an incredible compulsion at times to scratch the rash or the mosquito bite or the other itchy, irritated area that we've got. Now, if you have a think about the mosquito bite, scratching it certainly isn't going to treat it and it certainly isn't going to help it. But you know what it's like? That temporary relief of scratching is so great that we keep doing it even when you know at the time that you're scratching away that it's probably irritating the site more but the feel-good sensation drives that compulsion to scratch so stretching likewise feels good 
um, particularly to a body that's been battered by the demands of, of professional sport. And again, Physio Sue Mays says that that's no reason simply to do it. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good for you. Take eating sugar, for example. It feels great. It doesn't mean it's good for you. When you stretch out a pinched up angry bit of tissue, it might feel nice. But you may just be perpetuating the problem because you're stretching and weakening something that is already loose and needs to be strengthened. It's like you're scratching the itch. You're not fixing the cause. Like scratching that mosquito bite, you're only making it worse by stretching. So are you doing a lot of damage in this case by stretching because it feels good? Well, possibly not, as long as you're doing all the other modalities like like strengthening in particular. Um, and also not if you realize that it's simply a feel-good intervention and it's not a performance enhancer. And as long as it's not taking away from the time that could be spent doing more productive interventions. You just need to realize that, that stretching to feel good is more something that you do to feel relieved rather than something that you do to get fixed. So after all of that, I've been through all the, all the scenarios and, and feedback and, and suggestions that we can get from our clients and our athletes about why they stretch. Um, is stretching good for anything? That, that's the question we need to start asking ourselves. Now, I think that at the right place at the right time for the right person, some stretching techniques, particularly more dynamic stretching techniques, um, can be good for very specific purposes. But often it's quite different from the stretching goals that people actually have in mind when they're, when they're doing stretching, if they have any goals themselves. So I suppose at the moment my concern is, is not so much that stretching is totally useless, but that many people are doing it and stretching aimlessly and ineffectively. So does this mean that we just take stretching away from everybody immediately, given the lack of evidence that I've been through? And, and should you all, as athletes or as coaches, just say, well, stretching's done and I stop? Well, I don't think so. And I've got another analogy of my own um, to consider when you're thinking, well, I'm just going to stop stretching. And we've all read about superstitions that athletes have with their sport. And I'll give you a simple one where you might have a, let's say a footballer that says to you that they always pull their right sock up before they pull their left sock up before a game. And, and it, it sounds silly, but many athletes are very, very superstitious. Now, can pulling your right sock up before your left sock possibly change your physical performance? Well, no way. You're not going to find any evidence out there that says that any superstition like that is going to truly help you perform better. But if that athlete honestly thinks it does help them and it places their brain in a better space and more at rest and more prepared to, to deliver a performance and that person truly believes it helps them perform, then it probably will. Because the worrying that the wrong sock has been pulled up is going to waste energy and cause stress and, and, and automatically put the athlete in a mindset that they're not going to be able to perform well. 
And we need to keep in mind too that, that placebo itself has around a 30% chance of having an effect. So again, the, the power of the brain is amazing. And if we think about placebo, it, it doesn't have an effect because of anything within the placebo tablet or fluid or rub or whatever it is that the athlete is taking. Um, it, it just works because it stimulates the brain into a belief of performing better. So what I suggest is that if you really like stretching and you really think it does help you, don't take it away immediately. Do it slowly and, and, and do it carefully and do it progressively. So we need to educate our athletes and we need to create any change slowly. That's the number one thing. Don't necessarily just go out and, and, and completely stop stretching. We need to train people and educate them to believe that they don't need the stretching over a period of time and replacing the stretching with dynamic movement and motion and strength and a proper warm-up and other things that we know truly do have an effect on on warm-up and injury prevention and injury management, etc. But if if in the interim an athlete feels like they need to stretch, let them. But don't let an activity that has minimal, if any apparent true performance, take away from the time in doing something that we know has more performance and injury reduction benefits. And if someone comes up to me and just says, look, you know, I've done my gym and my strength and my jump and my balance and my coordination and and I started it with a good warm up and I'm just stretching to feel good. Well, that's an excellent reason to stretch. Don't take that away from them. And it's one of the few and, and perhaps only reasons that I can defend stretching anyway. So I hope that's been sort of helpful. We've been through quite a number of points on stretching and, and quite a number of reasons why people do stretch and shown that, that you know literally all of them, other than the fact it feels good, really doesn't have any any evidence behind it. Um, the key is in education, um, weaning people off their stretching and replacing it with that more uh, dynamic and, and more performance-enhancing and injury-preventing modalities that, that we know do work. So what I thought I'd talk about in the next podcast is I'm going to we've got an amazing array of experience within our clinic here at SSPC and what I'm going to do is talk to seven or eight of our own physios who look after their own teams and many of them at high level and we'll talk to the physios about what they think about stretching and if and when they use it within both their clinical setting and also with their sporting teams and and I hope that that will show that Stretching can and, and is used in some instances, but there is a lot of thought and a lot of purpose put behind any stretching that we recommend to people. Um, but behind all the stretching is a whole lot of other intervention that we're getting athletes to do far more regularly than stretching so anyway that's it from me today um, hope you've enjoyed it um, hope we've stimulated some thought about stretching and maybe a few of you will find a little bit more time um, taking a few stretches out and replacing it with uh, maybe a couple of strength exercises um, so we will see you next time for an interview with all of our physios thanks for listening